When's the last time either you used a pen and paper to write something? Hmm. I had to write my wife a check. Ooh, that needs the big pen. A check. Yeah. Okay, no, let's rephrase this question. When is the last time you wrote something substantial with a pen and paper? I had to write my wife a check. (laughs) (laughs) I can't match that. I'm sorry, I cannot top. I have never written that substantial. This is Robert Bruce. I'm here with Brian Clark, Chief Executive Officer of Copyblogger Media, and Sonia Simone, Chief Marketing Officer of Copyblogger Media. Guys, how's it going today? You make it sound so important. I know. Can I change my title to Chief Kumbaya Officer? You're, you're on this Look, title-changing kick. I am. I tried to make you Chief Content Officer, and you squarely rejected that. That's an interesting mm. one. Why, why was that one rejected, Sonia? I don't know. It's just not... It's just not fun enough. It's like Creedence Clearwater Officer. <laughs> yeah, see, that's major fail. That's just a, that's unacceptable. What, the joke or the title or both? All right, Wayne Barker over at searchenginejournal.com wrote an article last week titled SEO Lessons from Apple's Steve Jobs. And he takes what could be called a very old school approach to SEO. It's an approach that actually most publishers followed long before Google keywords and anchor text existed. Brian, what's he talking about here? Why is SEO so much more than good math? Because it's about content. So really what you're saying is, you know, people have been publishing online with quality content. For example, the New York Times, I remember when they first started serving alternate title tags um, to Google because they became aware of the amount of traffic that they were leaving on the table by not doing simple SEO stuff with their titles. But they started with high quality content, some of the highest quality content around uh, offline or on. So that's where we're at. And that's really what the point of this piece was, other than a great uh, link baity Twitter sharing type title, which we love. That's really what he's talking about here, which is a very good Apple analogy. Um, Apple makes everything fabulous and sexy, and uh, it's the epitome of why Seth Godin says the product is the marketing. Yeah, I mean, I, I really liked this post because even though, you know, the big SEOs get it, and the big SEOs, and uh, you know, as Wayne Barker talks about modern SEO, he says, when I say modern SEO, I'm not talking about the spammy, repetitive strain of meta keywords and directory submissions. I'm talking about creating great content, beautiful sites, link building through real relationships, and the creation of new brand names. And I, I love that because traditional SEO moved away from that for this kind of blip period where everybody was trying to outsmart the robots, right? Everybody was trying to outsmart the algorithm. Eventually, the algorithm has gotten smart enough to deliver what Google wants to deliver, which is they don't want to deliver crap. And he has an interesting point here. I I wish more people would think about this when they optimize content. You have to feel the content you create belongs on the first page of Google. I mean, I think that's intensely powerful. The prominent SEOs are are now white hat SEOs, of course. They focus on content. There's no way around it. That's why when we design Scribe, you start with the writing and with the writer who's not typically thought of as an SEO 
and then you give them, you know, the information they need to gently tweak it as opposed to starting with some keyword focus. Um, now, of course, you can take this too far. The people who say that keyword, they, you know, some people on social media talk about keywords like it's not language. Right. And like it's not the language of the audience. It's amazing to me. And, and some of these people are just lazy. They are prominent one way or another, and they don't want to bother with SEO because that's not what gets them, you know, in the bookstore or on the speaking trail. But for the rest of us who are, you know, in the business of creating content and wanting people to see it, because that generally leads to more revenue in our business models, it is important. But dating back to Gene Schwartz, this is the language of your audience. This is how they speak. You know, keyword research is just, you know, a boon, <laughs> a free understanding that those guys didn't have. They used to have to read trashy magazines and popular mechanics and, and stuff like that to try right. and get a feel for how people were actually speaking. Yeah, keyword research, I mean, even more applicable to your average human being, right? More so than than search engines. Even if you never, even if there is no way you could ever rank for your topic, and you, you probably can rank for your topic if you localize it or if you if you create a niche, but even let's say you cannot rank for your topic, there's some reason you just can't do it, knowing the keywords lets you speak the language of your customer, the specific language of your customer. When you know what they type into the search engine to find out about what you do, you can speak to them more directly. And even if you never get a single hit from, from search, it's still beneficial. Um, now, what we have found again and again is when you do it right and when you focus on the reader, when you focus on quality and when you focus on knowing what you're talking about and, you know, again, creating great content, the search en engines will find you. When you really focus on the, the when you don't care about the search engines, quote unquote, um, the search engines love you more. It's kind of like the really pretty girl in high school. And, and we've seen that borne out again and again, where when you sort of act like it doesn't matter, that's what creates the authoritative content, not the really crummy looking stuff that we've all seen that's all stuffed up with keywords and it's got weird stuff in hidden tags and it's got like keywords in white text on a white background and all these lame tr tricks um, you know that did used to work but it don't work no more yeah and after after panda uh, especially you know that was a major update to to google we're still wondering if it's a function of the algorithm or or something that's outside of it but the interesting thing, Sonia, that you you point you picked up on, which is you know your topic, more and more it is important to have a tight editorial focus. Again, that was in kind of a consequence of Panda. All these big authority sites were trying to write about everything, mm. and they were ranking for it. Just brute force, tons of thin content, long tail keywords, whatever. What Panda really did was say. If this isn't what your site is about and you, you're, what your site is about isn't getting links and shared and other indicators, you're not going to rank, right? That in a gist. Now, that's simplified. But those who have been kind of following the copy blogger model all along didn't even notice Panda because to, to rank for a keyword phrase, you have to be writing about that a lot. And that's been generally true, but now it's more true than ever. You're not, 
even a high authority site like Copy Blogger with a ton of links coming into it is not going to rank for something random that is not something we write about all the time. Google has gotten smart enough to understand, and this is why thinking like a publisher or a media company is more important than ever, because media companies don't just spew out random garbage, unless you're demand media. They actually have an editorial focus, right? So anyway, that's my two cents. Could you make an argument that SEO, Google and, and other search engines following are, are simplifying SEO outside of the basics of SEO, which can be handled by like, you know, our own Genesis framework, you know, clean code, um, the basic functions of on post SEO, things you can do, title tags, meta description. Outside of those basics, could you argue that Google is really simplifying this down and in light of this article? I mean, it's really no. coming. No, I think, <laughs> I think it used to be simple, you know, back when you could just repeat a bunch of words. Now you have to make something great. You know, okay, so that's simple. So that's simple. But, but it's not easy. Simple, yeah. simple but difficult. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, it used to be complicated, but kind of not hard. You know, it was brute force. You just apply enough crappy links, buy enough bad links, and make enough spam blog comments, and you'd be okay. Now it's simpler. And I think for the good writer, I do think it's simpler. I think it's easier. Um, they don't have all that crap to compete with. Now they are on a playing field that they own which is why good copywriters um, need to spend, really, guys, it's like 45 minutes learning about what really works with SEO copywriting. It's just a small handful of things, technical things, and start putting yourselves out there as, as SEO copywriters because that now is the killer app, is the ability to actually write something somebody wants to read. What's everybody having for lunch? Um, something incredibly high protein and good for me. Okay. Sonia, you answered, so I'm going with you. We're talking about food. Tracy Gold wrote a little article uh, slash infographic over at contentmarketinginstitute.com titled A Food Pyramid for Content Marketing. Uh, Sonia, Tracy breaks this food pyramid down into three parts, curation, creativity, and coordination. What's this all about and how is it helpful to online publishers? Yeah, this is a really cool post because it, it just gives you an immediate big picture of what a content strategy looks like. And, you know, just like different different people find different ways of eating helpful, this pyramid might not be your pyramid. Your pyramid might kind of move some tears around or you might put things in a different place. But knowing what your pyramid should look like, what's what works for you, your audience, your business, super, super useful. And I, I like her base so at the base, that means, you know, everything's got to rest on this. If you don't do this, then the rest of it you're going to have a tough time with. For her um, is curation, creativity, and coordination. So three Cs, very good. Alliteration is always good. Curation being, so she, you know, in her words, you've probably heard content marketing referred to as thought leadership, which is an interesting insight. Um, this is basically just the point that you have to know your topic. Now, if your topic is something that gets lots and lots of blog posts, then you probably have to read the big blogs and kind of know what people are saying. Just understand what's going on in your topic. Your topic may not, you know, blogs may not be where you go for curation, but you got to keep yourself informed. You got to know what you're talking about. You got to know your field and you got to stay up to date. And that's, and you have to have your own take. So, it's yeah. not really that interesting if you just, you know, if you're Wikipedia and you just spit out what everybody else says. 
Yeah, it's interesting. And I, I, you know, I agree with her concept of, you know, content marketing as thought leadership. I mean, we talk about content marketing as a way to build authority, but what is really authority? It's not some draconian thing. It's becoming a leader, right? And of course, since it's content-based, it's thought leadership. The only thing that I, I kind of would take issue with was, you know, that you've got to know what else everyone else is saying and then add something to the conversation. Usually when you think of a thought leader, they say something and everyone else starts talking yeah. about it, right? That's the basis of attracting links, you know, and, and all that. So I would I would play with that just a little bit. And then when you are in that that thought leadership or authority position, sharing related content from people who could even be conceived of as your competitors just shows confidence in your position, right? right? So, you know, I don't fundamentally disagree. I just think there's a little nuance there. Yeah. Her second C is content creativity. So this is one, you know, it's an eternal question for people who are creating content. How, you know, how can I create something people want to read? How can I come up with a fresh angle, a new way of putting things. Very often the basics don't change much. Um, since we're all dealing with human beings and human beings don't change much, very often the basics in any topic or even the, the nuances of any topic are very grounded in, you know, the same principles again and again. So how do you, how do you find the fresh angle, keep yourself interested, excited, find creative new ways to express it? So that's a key element. And then coordination, and this is one that – it's a little bit hidden. It's a backstage issue, which is you need to take all this content, all these ideas, and you need to be conscious about how you're putting it all together. So you have to know where you're going to distribute it. You have to just do your your homework, finding your images. If you have guest writers managing your writers, um, making sure that your content is kind of well distributed. You don't bunch up one kind of post too much. It's definitely an ebb and flow. It changes all the time, but there needs to be somebody making decisions about your content program. Somebody with an editorial vision, somebody with a big picture. And speaking of making decisions, Brian, who should sign up for the Internet Marketing for Smart People 20-part course? Well, you know, anyone who's basically looking for a structured step-by-step approach to a lot of the stuff that we talk about. Um, you know, our blog posts are our foundation, you know, the second step up in the pyramid, just like Tracy has here. And yet blogs are inherently, you know, chaotic and scattered and you don't know what happened last year because you weren't around. So Sonia did a really good job of putting it together, not only with brand new, never seen before content um, in the 20 part lessons, but also referencing back in a very organized and sensible way, all the supporting material that's really important to understanding. So, you know, if you, if you're getting, if you're intrigued, if you're wanting to get going with online marketing, specifically with content, then this is a way that's organized and well-paced to get your head around, okay, here's what I do, and then here's what I do next, and here's what I do after that. So I think anyone who wants that kind of orderly, you know, that's what a course is, as opposed to a blog, which is often what we thought of writing last week. (laughs) 
Yeah, and to sign up, if you want to get hooked up onto the Internet Marketing for Smart People email list, just get over to copyblogger.com slash IMFSP, uh, or as our badass friends in the United States military would state it over the radio, copyblogger.com slash India Mike Foxtrot Sierra Papa. Get over there, drop your email address into the little box and click the red button that says sign me up. Or uh, as always, you can just click the link that you'll see in the show notes of this post. Time to move into the writing tip of the week, guys. Uh, you remember that old advice, if you want something, you need to ask for it. Uh, this, this tip uh, this week is basically how to write a call to action. And it really is as simple and as difficult as that old advice, I think. I don't know what it is. We have this huge capacity to overlook or ignore the most basic truths about how people work when we're writing. So, Sonia, how important exactly is a call to action? Well, it's not important at all if you don't care what people do. But if you actually want to get a particular result, like you want to sell something, you want to get signups for an email list, you want somebody to share your content on Twitter, um, then you have to tell them what you want them to do. And this is one of those, I always joke around that this is like my ninja super secret copywriting tip because it's the easiest thing. It is the easiest thing you can do to make your copywriting work better. Not many people do it. And even you'll see some people with big budget ad campaigns forget it. And the reason people forget it is it's what makes an ad look like an ad. It's what, and you'll often people hear people say, oh, you know, if I tell people to, you know, call now, it sounds like an infomercial. That's right, because everything in an infomercial is there because it works. So a call to action is just telling people in simple, clear language what you want them to do. This is a brand wrote a totally fascinating post about when you really want to get clicks on something. For example, you want people to click through to a landing page uh, for a, a sales page, let's say for a product. The words click here to learn more, even though every web usability expert will <laughs> is bursting into tears right now and is going <laughs> to. They're just gnashing their teeth, going, <laughs> No, don't go there. They're going to be storming the gates because it, it goes against what every usability expert will tell you. The fact is, when you say click here, people click more. It's just. Yeah, it's like you want to ask them, so why does so many, you know, we. Here's the test marketing profs did. Why did so many more people click it if it's so horrible? Um, right. Well, it's ugly. And why is this on kind of the, the outer limits of what works, knowledge of what works? Why is that not more widely known? Well, I think it's because ad agencies are populated with people who are don't feel comfortable with advertising with selling anything. Hmm. Um, <laughs> Which is create, irony <laughs> at the highest yeah, extreme. They want to create. Right? They want to create beautiful advertisements that win advertising prizes. Um, you know, ads are full of creative people, and many small businesses just haven't. They haven't run across it before. And again, it it, it makes people feel uncomfortable. You have to get a tiny bit outside your comfort zone to say, if you like this post, please tweet it on Twitter. In fact, let's talk about a call to action from social media that made people wildly uncomfortable. And there's all this discussion about how icky it makes people feel, which is Dan Zarella's data that shows that posts that use the words, please RT, which stands for please retweet, 
get more retweets than posts tweets that don't say that. And Brian, you have some, you know, you have some thoughts on that because, you know, Zarella posted this data. Okay, look, here's what the data say. Boom. The, the, the tweets with this phrase in them get more retweets, just black and white. And a million people said, well, I don't care. It's just gross and desperate, and I'm not doing that. I mean, what's your take on that? Yeah, re- real quick, please retweet gets four times more retweets than a post that does not state that. Right, right. Okay, so Dan is right um, because he can identify a discrete phrase that results in more retweets, yet I don't do it except maybe twice a year. And it's usually for a charity or a good cause, not, you know, my content or something like that. Um, So I am one of those people who thinks that if you did that all the time, it would lose effectiveness. Occasionally, yes, it, it works quite well because it's a call to action. What the data doesn't show, though, is that a lot of things that get retweeted a bunch cannot really be deemed a competitor to please retweet because they're headlines or they're unique uh, combinations of language. You know, I found that the things that get retweeted the most generally depend on the headline. Um, I've noticed some other things like when Chris Brogan um, retweets something of ours and gives it a personal recommendation it goes crazy because that's the kind of relationship he has with his audience. So how do you quantify how, you know, exactly, you see what I'm saying? Because there's no way, there's no stock language outside of please retweet. So the data is correct. And if you want something to get retweeted and it's important, occasionally I would use it. But your best bet for getting your content retweeted is to write great headlines and or get someone with a huge audience to say, hey, go check this out. Preferably both. (laughs) (laughs) But even in social media, even in the kumbaya, let's all get together and be in social media together environment, generally, uh, we're seeing this call to action actually working, being effective, and not causing you to lose every single uh, follower that you've ever gained for the last (laughs) 10 years. No, I think people have to realize that it feels awkward to them to write. Often, it, it really is not awkward to read. And so, no, please don't put please RT on every tweet you post because (laughs) then you just sort of look like an idiot. But this is not internet marketing for idiots. Yes, internet marketing for idiots. Just wanted to clarify that in case some stray got on the call. There are many, many venues where you can find that. This is internet marketing for smart people. So yeah, don't look like an idiot. Use it effectively. Problogger at Problogger. Darren Rouse used it just the other day. He has a really cool new ebook out. Um, I swear it's worth it just for the beautiful pictures. It's just so gorgeous. Um, and he used it for that, but very judiciously. I mean, I would say he probably doesn't use plea RT more than one time in 500. So use it judiciously. If you've got something special you want to bring people over to, or as Brian said, you know, you have something else you really want to bring some attention to. I will tell you that actually would I retweet this is a great – that's a great headline tip. If you look at your headline for your blog post and you say, well, if I saw that, would I retweet that? You know, if I saw it and I didn't know what the post was about, would I go ahead and click? Um, That's a nice little headline test that can sometimes help you boost your social media shareability, not just in Twitter, of course, but Facebook, LinkedIn, wherever your people are. 
All right, guys, let's wrap this up and get out of here. I need a sandwich. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Remember, if you want more of this type of thing, but in a very systematic, useful, and, uh, oh, did I say totally free 20-part course, please do sign up for the Internet Marketing for Smart People email course. It's like getting the best of the best of Copyblogger in 20 easy shots. Uh, to sign up, just get over to copyblogger.com IMFSP or click the link you'll see in the show notes of this post. Brian, Sonia, thanks for bringing it. Thanks, dudes. Thank you, sir. And lady. <laughs> <laughs>